0: So uh, we're, we, last week, very sad week. It was the fall. It was the fall of Jerusalem that Judah goes into exile, and now Judah is in exile. Israel has disappeared from the face of the earth. They've gone to the four winds. We don't even know where they are at this point. It's a very sad time in history. God has warned through the prophets. He's warned um, Judah and Israel, you've got to serve me. You've got to repent and turn to me. If you will, I will forgive you. I will heal your land. I will take care of you. But if you won't, then you're going to reap what you You've been sowing. I don't want to do this. I don't like doing this, but I will do this if you continue in the way that you're going. And they do. They don't repent. And so the Babylon comes in now, destroys Israel or destroys Jerusalem completely, and Judah is now in captivity. And so we take off in the story. Now is Daniel. How many of you guys love Daniel? Yeah, such an amazing guy, Daniel. And then Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, or as one pastor said, under the bed we go. Anyway. It Wasn't me. I was just copying him. Very subdued laughing over the jokes today. Better keep those to a minimum. There are NFL fans among us. I can tell. They're like, yeah, 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 with the jokes. Get to the end. So um, at any rate, (laughs) I was laughing at myself. Good job, Josh. You're funny. So they're in exile, and the first thing that happens is Daniel he immediately responds in this situation in a very righteous and amazing way. And we're going to take, some, we're going to take some, uh, some lessons from Daniel and Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego's lives, particularly Daniel. But the grand narrative is God is keeping his promise to David, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Adam and Eve, that he will redeem all of mankind And he promised that he would. He told David, there will always be a king on the throne. And he's referring to Christ who would come. He told Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve ate from the fruit and brought sin and death into the earth and gave all the authority to Satan. In that moment, God spoke to Adam and Eve and said to her, he said, to her, he said, your seed will crush this snake's head and that snake will bruise your son's heel. But I will redeem you. And so this is, we're moving towards that. God's continuing to keep his promise. Sometimes in co- being able to co-labor with what his people are doing because they're obeying. But, but many times, most times, in spite of the fact that his people are becoming knuckleheads. How many of you guys can relate being a knucklehead? God gives you all these blessings, all these good things, and we're like, thanks. We just run back to stupid, selfish, terrible, short-sighted things. And then God says, come here, let me show you how to clean up your mess. And we repent and we cry and he dusts us off and he says, all right, let me show you how to fix this. And that's his heart and it has been. Well, Judah is in that place. They've made a fat mess and they've been carried off into exile and they're gonna spend another 70 years in exile. And the reason why they're gonna spend that time is because they didn't follow his law to keep the Sabbath. And so for every Year of Sabbath that they didn't keep. He's given them a year of exile. And so here we are in Babylon. We begin the story with Daniel, part of the remnant of Judah, where God told David, there will still I will, I will make sure to sustain you no matter what because, of, because I love you and because I'm a God who keep his, keeps my promises and I want to bring redemption. So Daniel's part of that remnant in Babylon. And if you remember last week, we talked about God will forgive us God will redeem things, but, we, but he will be with us in the midst of the redemptive process. It doesn't always mean that we suddenly don't have consequences for our actions. Uh, you know, God forgives you when you blow all your money, but he doesn't invent new money and just pop it into your wallet. You've got to go out and earn some more and make wiser decisions with it. Come on, how many of you relate? Well, in the same way, uh, Israel has, has absolutely reaped the punishment for their actions, Judah has reaped the punishment for their actions, and God is bringing redemption. So we enter Daniel. Daniel is a righteous man. Daniel loves the Lord. And we begin with this, this, first of all, let me just start with this. Daniel is a eunuch. How many of you could say, ouch? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego also eunuchs. They can't have children. They have been voided of their ability to be a whole man at this point. They report to a particular man who is the chief of eunuchs. The chief of eunuchs is their boss. What kind of math does that tell you? It's been a bad day for Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Now, I only bring this up because I believe that what God wants to deal with today, the part about us today today, is that many of us have this idea that because of our limitations, because of the way life has dealt with us, because of whatever, fill in the blank, because we all have them and they're very real. How many of you know being castrated is very real? It's a very real problem, very demoralizing, very final. And all of us have these very demoralizing, very destructive, frustrating things going on in our lives. And how many of us could use some hope In that place. Well, I want to bring this up because Daniel is facing his whole nation just got taken captive. And if that wasn't enough, Daniel ain't having no kids. And he never will. But in the midst of that, he doesn't turn from God, he turns towards God. Even up to the point that when the chief of of the eunuchs comes and says, here's your allotment of food. So Daniel is is very good looking. We know this because it says that they looked for guys without defect that were very good looking and very wise and smart. And Daniel, he, he qualifies. And so do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're to be trained for three years by the chief of eunuchs. And so they go in for their training. And at the very beginning, Daniel says, listen, I don't want to defile myself with all this food you guys are eating. Most most likely there was shellfish and pork. Violated the Jewish diet that was passed down from God. Also, sacrificed to idols. Some of it, I'm sure. We can definitely see that this was not a Christ-fearing nation, Babylon. And Daniel says, I can't violate that. I can't practice that kind of a lifestyle. Give us just vegetables and water. And the chief of eunuchs says to him, listen... If I do that for you guys and you all start looking not as good as everybody else then the king will have my head. So I can't do this and Daniel being the wise man that he is doesn't relent. He still says, "Well, then do this. Let's have a test. Let's let's quantify this. We me and Shadrach and me, me, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we will just eat vegetables and water for 10 days. After 10 days, then you see how we look." And so we we have here uh, in Daniel 1, it says, At the end of the days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And it goes on to say to to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, it was three years, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar and the king talked with them. And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They had not yet named them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they entered in to the king's service. Now, what is unique here is that Daniel, in the face of this terrible situation, major limitations, huge losses, does not turn from God and say, you know what, God, your program is clearly not working for me. You know, I know what a good day is, I know what a bad day is, I'm stringing them together, this is a lot of bad days, and I've had it with you, Lord, I'm moving on. I'm just gonna assimilate, no. He turns towards God and does not violate the practices of holiness even to the point then of saying, listen, I'm willing to take the practice of holiness, speaking to the chief eunuch, and I'm willing to say that the results of the way that I'm living will be better than the results of the way that these others are living. Isn't that interesting? And when He sees the results, they are quantifiably better, because Daniel is living a life of practicing holiness, not violating God's ways and will, but rather fulfilling them in his daily practice. Are you catching this? And so they enter in to the king's service. I love this next scripture. It says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, he's right now he's serving King Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to get into here. I'm going to talk a little bit about the dream. But the thing that I want you to catch is that Daniel... And Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are living a lifestyle of consistently following and walking with God up to the point that they keep creating quantifiable results that others look at even to the point that their wisdom and understanding is 10 times better than everybody around them. Are you guys with me? It's not like God just came in and said like, you're especially better than everyone else and you don't have to do anything. No, they went to school for three years and studied and applied themselves and ate vegetables and drank water because it wouldn't violate the conscience and what God had called them to. They're living out the commands of God. How many of you know what the commands of God are to us? Love him with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And one new command I give you, says the Lord, love your neighbor as I have loved you. You guys with me, you remember this? So we fulfill those commands in our daily lives. That's what we're called to do. And Daniel is an exquisite example of someone who's actually doing that, and the results are amazing. Now God is keeping His promise to Israel. I mean, to uh, to Judah and to David, and we're going to see this. This is part of the redemption process of God wanting to save families and cities and nations. But it begins with a man who is willing to say yes to God, no matter what, and to follow through in consistency. I want to share a story from my own experience. I, uh, I used to uh, sandblast, and I used to uh, paint, uh, actually, uh, dump truck bodies, and, um, and I worked in, in paint and auto body, and um, I, I enjoyed that. I worked for a particular gentleman who I, I appreciated, really liked this guy quite a bit, and um, Karen and I were first married, we were so... Stinking poor. We were just telling our daughter the other day about how poor we were when we were young, which is not that bad because you got love, but eventually you're like, love is great. But man, steak would sure go nice with it. You know, it just would. We used to eat eggs all the time, all the time. Eggs in the morning, eggs for lunch. I mean, we just ate. Ta- how many of you had egg tacos? You know you're kind of poor if you're having egg tacos. Like, they're good occasionally, but if you have them a couple times a week, you're probably kind of poor, a little, little bit, a little bit poor. I read about North Korea, though, and eggs are a delicacy in North Korea, and I was like, I am rich, I am very, very rich, I've never been poor. So it's interesting how that works out, isn't it? It's rather relative. Nonetheless, compared to Americans, we were poor. And we could use some money, and I'm working, and at one point, and I'm doing a great job, by the way, I am a hard worker. I have a, a, a good work ethic. It's something that I love to worship God through work. I do. He loves it. Everything I do is worship to Him, and I, I understood that kingdom principle at a very young age. And so I just would apply myself. So I would bring it. I mean, really, I'm a like seriously. If I wasn't your pastor, you would want to hire me because I would make you money. I'm not kidding. Because I know that God considers everything I do worship, and I do it with all my might. And I would make you wealthy if you hired me. I would. Guaranteed. Everyone I've ever worked for, I've brought them a profit and taken their business to the next level, up to my level of understanding and responsibility. And so I was bringing it to this guy and it was good and we were doing well. We were doing very well. And I treated his customers very well. And we were continuing to move forward at any rate, we used, to, we used to contract the sandblasting of these dump bodies to a, to a sandblasting company. And he was a mobile sandblasting company, which was great. He'd pull up on a truck and just drop the big old, do you know what I'm talking about? Dump bodies like those big old dump trucks was on a semi, you know, and we would sandblast those and paint them. They would build them and then we would also renovate old ones. So this guy would show up and sandblast. Well, the DEQ was not having it, because when you sandblast, it puts free silica into the air, so you really need to be probably in a, either in an industrial area or in an enclosed area so that the free silica doesn't float around and you breathe it in, um, and it can, it can, too much of it can hurt you. So he kept getting shut down by the DEQ because they're like, dude, you can't just show up in some yard somewhere and be sandblasting stuff. So his whole business model became extinct, and he came to my boss at that time and said, hey, listen, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not going to be doing business anymore. Why don't you do the sandblasting? You're already doing the painting. And my boss said, that's a great idea. So he comes immediately to me and says, Joshua, I got an awesome proposition for you. I said, what is that? And he said, I know you're needing to make more money, et cetera. And, uh, and so how about this? Why don't you do the sandblasting? You just subcontract, lease the machine, and, uh, and do all the sandblasting, and that will make you several more hundred bucks a month. That'll help your income, and then, uh, and then I don't have to get into that, and we'll keep doing the painting. You just sandblast it, bring it in. Okay, long story short. Well, the next day, he comes back, and he says, I got to thinking. And you, you know, How many of you know that's never awesome? It never, it, that's just never a good thing, is it? Like, oh, you know, I started thinking about it. You're like, yeah, yesterday we had a good deal going, and now you're thinking about it. Like, anyway, he said, I, I have an even better idea. And so his even better idea was, how about I give you a dollar an hour raise Well, the problem was, how many of you know when there's not a lot of business, you're not getting a lot of hours? And so how about I give you a dollar an hour raise, and you can do the sandblasting, um, but we're going to go ahead and not let you subcontract that part of it. We'll just give you a dollar an hour raise. So I just went from like a few hundred bucks more a month down to like 40 bucks more a month. Come on. That hurt. It hurt a lot. I began to pray aggressively for him. Lord, Father, canker sores, dreams in the night, Jesus. Isn't there something about the botch and the itch, Father? Let me look in the Old Testament. Anyway, I was very upset and I'm like, Lord, this is so messed up. And I'm breathing. How many of you have grumbled and complained in a situation? There was some grumbling and some complaining going on. But the Lord said this bless him, pray for him, and do this. And I was like, Father, you are clearly confused. Bless him, pray for him, and do this. And so not because it was the smart thing to do, not because it was fair, not because I wanted to do it, but only because the Spirit of God told me, bless this man and do this. And not only do it, but bless him while you do it. I did learn something, and I'll just tell you this for for your place of employment or as you're employing others and working with others and all of that. A good way to not curse people is to be actively blessing them. Because I really was mad, and I really would start out grumbling. Lord, this is so messed up. And he's like, what did I tell you? And I said, Father, bless him. Bless his family. Bless his health. Bless his wife. Bless his business. Bless his accounts. Bless every part of his life, Lord. And I couldn't actually curse him and bless him at the same time. And you know what? Eventually, as I continued to bless him, I got over it. If you can believe it or not, I actually got over it. And, uh, and so the Lord opened up some other doors. I ended up moving on to something else, and it was very peaceable, actually. He didn't have enough work for me, and so uh, I ended up going on. But we we're still friends to this day, which is why I'm not telling you his name. Plus, that's probably the right thing to do. So, um, I mean, even if we weren't friends. About a year later, I get a phone call, and it's my buddy. And he said, hey, listen, here's the deal. You know, I, I, I wanted to call you right away. i am actually got some carpal tunnel, and I just cannot do sandblasting anymore. Would you like to just take the whole account and handle that? And it was at a perfect time. And then I ended up, that account at that time, when money was worth a little more than it is now, but it, it, it ended up becoming a passive income for me, or not a passive income, but a, 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 an additional income for me. And I did that for several years, and it was very lucrative. And God brought the whole thing back, and I was able to grow it beyond what he had done. And he blessed me and was grateful for all the work that I had done. So God turned it around, he redeemed it, and then he brought it back. How many of you know that if I would have cursed him to his face and quit and all that, do you think he would have called me later? Like, you know how you were really mad and then you treated me like garbage and then you said all those bad things about me and my mama and then you quit? That made me want to call you and offer you this blessing later. No, absolutely not. But the Lord knew at that time when he said, bless him and continue on, he knew what he had planned for the future. And, and later in the future, it was a huge blessing. And God turned that around. The point that I want to make right now is that I didn't do it because it made sense. And I didn't do it, I mean, bless him and not curse him and continue to stay on at this terrible predicament after he bait and switched me. It wasn't because I was smart. It wasn't because I was what I wanted to do. It was because what God asked me to do in that situation. Are you with me? All right, so let's get back to Daniel, and I'm going I'm to tie these things together. So Daniel is in this place now where he has had some injustice that makes my injustice look like nothing. I mean, I'm not even comparing these two things, just so you know. I love my beautiful daughters. Thank you, Lord. And, um, and so Daniel, his whole future has been changed by the people that he needs to work for. How many of you have a future that's been changed because of things that were outside of your control? And your sense is, God, can you even help me in the midst of this? And it's easy to want to curse instead of bless. It's easy to want to moan and whine instead of ask the Lord, Lord, what do I do now? My fruitfulness has been cut off in this situation, but what would you have me do? How many of you guys understand that Daniel is here and he births a whole nation and preserves and protects it while he's in Babylon? Yeah, he lost His physical ability to have children. But God said, I'll make you the father of a whole nation in the line of David as far as inheritance is concerned. You guys catching this? What would you say is better? Son and a daughter? Or to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ, as it were, and the redemption of all mankind? Are you guys with me? I'm not not saying bloodline here. I'm saying he carried Judah In exile. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. (laughs) And Daniel has a job to do. Daniel is there as an advisor. And I think you guys are familiar with the dream Nebuchadnezzar has. He doesn't understand what it is. He asks all of the the astrologers and and magicians and wise men of the the place to come in and interpret his dream. And they say, no problem, uh, Neb. Um, we'll do that. What what was the dream? And he goes, ah, no, 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 no. He goes, if you tell me the dream, you're just going to make something up. I ain't having it. I'll know that you know what the interpretation of the dream is if you tell me the dream, which will validify that you even know the interpretation, and then you give me the interpretation. And they're like, King, nobody's ever done this before. That's not even a thing. And he says, I can tell you're just trying to buy time. And he speaks to the guards, and he says, go kill all the wise men. I know. Can you believe this boss? Like, woo. And so the the soldiers head out and start killing wise men. It's not like we're about to. They are. They're showing up. Knock, knock, knock. Yes. And so they're killing wise men. They get to Daniel. And Daniel says, you know, what's going on? He says, well, gives him the the situation. I'm sorry. He says, well, I have to kill you. He says, why must you kill me? And what is the urgency in this matter? He's very wise and, and tactful. Come on, some of you need to hear that. He's very wise and able to use tact to the point where the guy who's killing other wise men waits long enough to listen to what Daniel has to say. There's a say law for everybody. Okay, and he says, okay, here's the situation. And Daniel says, well, then let me go to the king. So he goes to the king and he says, king, give me more time so that I can get the interpretation for this. Now, here's what's interesting. Those other dudes asked for more time too. And he, and he says, you ain't getting any more time. You're just stalling. He starts killing people. Daniel asks for more time, and he gives him more time. What does that say about Daniel? Daniel is operating in consistency and excellence before the Lord, and he already has some equity. So then he goes before the Lord, and he talks to his buddies. And this is a huge part, okay? He talks to his buddies, and they do what every one of us should do when we have a problem. Pray. And so he urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. Catch this. You've given me wisdom and power. Would you just say that? You've given me wisdom and power. Could you say it one more time? And now say it like you just won the lottery. Because you did. You've made known to me what we asked of you, and you've made known to us the dream of the king. Look at the specificity of this prayer and the answer. God is with you, my beloved brothers and sisters. He is with you. He is with you in the minutia. He is with you in the monotony. He is with you in the midst of your job. He's in the midst of your marriage. He's in the midst of your family, He's in the midst of your sickness. He's in the midst of your addictions and your troubles and very real things that you're facing. And what he wants us to do is just like Daniel to turn to him and say, God, I've got a problem and I'm pleading with you to give me wisdom and power so that I can ascertain and apply myself in a practical way with quantifiable results for a good outcome with the thing you've given me actual responsibility for. You hear that? You see, some of us misunderstand how the kingdom works and we think that, we're, that we have authority in places where we don't have responsibility. I wanna say this, you only have as much authority as you do responsibility. If a prophet, somebody who came in here who was a, a world-class prophet walked in here and said, I have a word for Tyler and he wanted to bring that word I would tell him, you don't have, I would tell him, give me the word, but we're gonna judge it together. And you know why I would do that? Because he's not responsible to make sure that this amazing young man thrives and gets equipped in this city and in these cities and in this place. He's a guy with an anointing. But he has no responsibility to continue to walk with this young man, to encourage this young man, to have seen him grow from a a little boy up to the amazing young man that he is. He has no responsibility. So even though he has a gift and a word, it doesn't mean that he has authority to tell Tyler about his future, because he has no no responsibility of relationships. Does that make sense? And so I would listen to that word, and he comes in and goes, Tyler, you're going to be a jockey And you're going to ride so fast in the Kentucky Derby that people will, they'll call you hindquarters Tyler because all they ever see is your hindquarters. (laughs) And I would say, prophet sir guy, that is a ridiculous word. It has been weighed and judged and found wanting. (laughs) And we reject that word. But we'll still keep the nickname. Because he doesn't have a responsibility for the true dreams of God's heart over this young man. You see, he can give a word, not worry about it. Are you guys with me? What's the point for all of us? Many of us want to carry these, 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 this idea of authority in, the, in, the, in our cities and in, the, and in the church and with one another and other places in areas where we don't have any responsibility. We're not actually engaged to solve any real problems. What we really are are critics, Critics and fans, right? Some of you are ready for me to wrap up here pretty quickly, and I'm going to do that for you. But how much authority do you have over what that coach is going to tell that team to do? You can yell all you want, but he ain't doing what you say, right? The quarterback isn't listening to you. You have zero responsibility, and you have zero authority. They're commensurate. So in our lives, God is showing us through Daniel... See, Daniel has an actual responsibility to interpret the king's dream or die. And he brings this very real problem before God and God says, Daniel, you do have a lot of responsibility because I've actually got you carrying the destiny of Judah. And I'm gonna give you an answer to that problem. And so he does. And he interprets the dream. And God says to him, you have given me wisdom and power. I'm going to hone in on that, on that phrase, wisdom and power. What to do and how to get there. What to do and how to get there. It's not nebulous. It's exact. It's not general. It's specific. See, we are just like Daniel today. And in your area of responsibility, who are your employees? I guarantee in your business, you need to know what to do and how to get there. You need to be able to speak to the Lord and say, "Lord, I need a revelation on how to solve this problem." If you're an employee and you have a job description, you have authority in that job description, and you have a responsibility to do great things up to your level of job description, and up to that level, you have authority to do it. And when you run into a problem, God expects you to fix it, but not without His help. So he wants us to call out and say, God, I have a specific problem. And it's, it's an unfair problem. How many times is it an unfair problem? It's always an unfair problem, it feels like. The king wants me to tell him what the dream is and then interpret it. And God says, I want to help you with that, Daniel. I want to help you with that, my family, because I have the answers. And I want to give you wisdom and power to be able to handle the situation that you're in. And what I ask you to do is to live before me in holiness and a practice of righteousness. And and we spoke a moment ago about what that is for us. Love God with all of our heart and love our neighbor the way that God loves us. That plays out in everything. That plays out. That's why we don't just play capitalism. We play kingdom capitalism. Capitalism. Kingdom capitalism was God's idea. It creates health and wealth everywhere it goes. Greed capitalism, well, we've seen a lot of what that creates. The second commandment is carried out when we make a profit. That's another say off for you. Are you guys hearing me that God meets us in the midst of our very real challenges? See, God is with us in the details, the daily. He's the one who deposes kings and raises them up. Our job is to glorify him through our good works and passionate devotion, loving him with a holy love and a holy life. Daniel is an extraordinary example of an ordinary man in extraordinary circumstances who follows through in simple ways by simply calling out and asking God what to do and then doing it. And not, not, not trying to spiritualize things. You notice that Daniel is in a fight for his life but he doesn't say like, oh Lord, the devil's just really beating me up and so I'm just not able to do anything that I need to do and I just get a really bad attitude about it. and I'm just really sad lately and all your people are really mean and hypocritical, and so anyway, Father, just come soon. No, he's he's a man. He's a warrior. If he was a woman, he'd be awesome too. That <laughs> sounded bad, didn't it? No, he's a man. He's not that other stuff. Sorry, that, that was accidental. <laughs> he is a child of God. That's what I was trying to say right there, person of the Lord. Oh, focus. I can feel the... <laughs> ah, ah, ah. he calls out to the Lord and then he follows through with the wisdom that God gives him. And the rest is history, isn't it? The rest is history, isn't it? I want the worship team to come up. You made known to us the dream of the king. You gave us wisdom and power. Praise be to you, God. We know and we're gonna see as God continues to keep his promise. And and this ordinary man who trusted the Lord gives us an example. And there are many more. I, I, I wish I had time to go into the rest of them, but I don't. But there are many more of a man who is so known for his faithfulness and excellence and consistency before the Lord. He constantly is promoted. And the only way to try to stop this man is to make following God illegal for him. And even in that situation, as he asks God what to do and does not change from obeying the Lord in his every, in his every practice, God vindicates him. And I, I want to I bring up that scripture right here. After he's vindicated in the lion's den, he wakes up and you guys know the story. The lions didn't touch him. Evil men accused him as though he were somehow being uh antisocial, being a revolutionary and won't follow. He's not politically correct. He keeps praying to Jesus thrown in the lion's den. He wakes up the next morning, the king runs out and says says to him, King Darius, He says to him in anguish, he says, Daniel, was your Lord whom you serve faithfully able to save you, able to save you? And Daniel, I love it, he says this, O king, live forever. My Lord was able to save me because I was innocent in both his sight and yours, and I've never done anything to cross you. He was able to serve God and those that God put him with, those, that place of responsibility. And then, this, and then Darius says this. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This is the king, this is Daniel's boss. He's not a follower of the Lord. But because of Daniel's conduct, he just became one. He just shifted and said, Daniel, because of the way you follow God, I can see that your God is the God of all, the living God. Of his dominion, there will be no end. And this is from a man who asks practical questions of a practical God to fulfill and obey and live in his area of responsibility to glorify God and God alone. And that's us. I want to ask you something. And we're going to sing this song. Because Daniel, his whole life, he just keeps being taken from like one challenge to another, but in every challenge, he always overcomes. I think for a lot of us, we just think, boy, that sounds challenging, but we forget he overcame every one. And we're in this same place, and I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine if each of us began to take our mandate to serve God and to serve others with kindness and excellence into every area where we have responsibility. Imagine if holy love and excellence in our conduct and service were what God and his people were known for. What if every time kings like this, this is a pagan king that looks at Daniel and says, your God is the God of gods. Imagine if every one of us began to see that every place that we are is the place where God wants to extend his kingdom, and we are there to extend it through service and excellence and kindness. The tact to be able to say to a soldier who's been told to come and kill me that I can speak to him in such a way that he stops and pauses and says, there's something different about you. You are more kind and more wise and more powerful than anyone else. And I'm going to give you an audience with the king, even though the command is to kill you. That we are so excellent and kind and amazing that our enemies, wicked men and women, look at us and say they are negligent in no way. The only way we can accuse them is if it's in some way that we try to make them violate the statutes of their God, which they will not, and then if we can make that illegal, that's how we'll trap them. Our critics don't criticize us for our righteousness. They're only mad at us when we don't do the things that God tells us we're to do. When people talk bad about Christians, it's not when we fulfill the first and second commandment. It's when we don't. And they call us hypocrites. And when we don't, that's what it's called. But imagine as each of us goes and says, Lord... Call me out upon the waters. Call me out into deeper places where I must trust you, where I must call out and say, give me wisdom and power, God, because you've given me greater responsibility and my family and my nation and my city hangs in the balance. Tell me the dream of the king. Call me out where faith may fail. Call me out where I have to hear from you. I'm not gonna be scared to obey. Let me obey you in bigger circumstances. So today, let's stand and let's sing this to the Lord and say, God, take me into something and then give me the solution. Someday, we'll open up the history books of heaven and we'll read about what this family did in our generation, while we were entrusted to preserve this nation.